Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week we discuss issues including hunger. This week we're speaking with Maryland Governor Wes Moore. Not only is he that state's first black governor, he's only the third black elected governor in the nation's history. That's the crowd as the 44-year-old took the stage to be sworn in on a Bible owned by the legendary Frederick Douglass, who escaped slavery in Maryland before becoming an author and famed abolitionist. Oprah Winfrey started her career in Maryland and spoke at Moore's inauguration. Maryland is full to the brim with opportunity. It was back then. It is now. Governor Moore told those in the audience that this job is about far more than being the first. This journey has never been about making history. It's about marching forward. The Democrat says he learned some important lessons from his grandfather, who also made history. That conversation after this short break. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. My grandfather was actually the... uh, the first black minister in the history of the Dutch Reformed Church. And, and what was amazing about his journey, was he was the first one on my mom's side of family born uh, in this country. And in the middle of the night, the, uh, the, my great-grandfather was a minister and, and a very vocal one. And he was getting threats from the Ku Klux Klan. And eventually, the, it was the Klan that ran my family out, uh, not even out of town, out of this country. And much of my family always said that they would never come back to the United States, and much of my family did not. But my grandfather did, and he eventually came back, went to an HBCU, and he became the first black minister uh, in the history of, of, of a religion. Wow. And the thing that was was really powerful for me as I was you know, on this journey to become the first black governor in the history of Maryland was I would always think about the conversations I'd have with my grandfather, where he would say, you know, uh, I'd ask him, what was it like making history? And he said, it's humbling. But he said, but that was never the assignment. The assignment wasn't to make history. The assignment was, you know, in his case, to to fulfill the word of God. And, and, and you know, in my case, this really is a chance for us as a state to be able to be bold, to be ambitious, to go fast and uh, and to make sure we're addressing a lot of the challenges that we ran on. And so I, I look at this moment and say that while being first is very humbling. And I respect and I'm thankful for all the shoulders I'm standing on to get there. I also know that that's not that wasn't the assignment. 
I've got to ask you, Governor, one of the things that struck me about your inauguration day is that you went to City Dock in downtown Annapolis, which is a port where slaves were brought into Maryland hundreds of years ago. For people that don't know what that is, can you tell them and why you felt it necessary to go there on that day? Yes. You know, I, I, I want to show people that, that we move with intentionality. And it was important to start that day uh, down at a place that I wanted uh, the, the state to really understand the journey of us getting here. That, you know, starting and off at the docks, where it was one of the first and one of the largest uh, uh, slave ports inside this country, uh, you know, and, and really then start with a reef laying ceremony and acknowledgement of that. And then we walked from the docks to the state house. And by the way, that was a state house that was built by the hands of enslaved people. And I wanted people to understand that, you know, that while that day, that moment, my swearing in as the, as the, first uh, first uh, black governor in the state of, in the in the history of the state of Maryland only the third in our country's history it wasn't an an indictment of the past it was a celebration of our collective future and that's the thing that i you know that also i, I think about oftentimes when people are having these debates and these discussions about history and what do you teach and my my point is is always this is that what we did that day of of starting off with the docks and being able to acknowledge our history, that's not, that's not indoctrination. That's history. And I, it's not, and it's not, uh, it's not pointing fingers, but what it is, it's a celebration of this collective journey that we've gone on as a state. And I think that's something that's worth celebrating. And also you happen to be governor of the state of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Thurgood Marshall. Mm-hmm. So. That's exactly right. And, 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 and making sure that people understand that when we're talking about these giants in our state's history, uh, that the shoulders that I am standing on are shoulders of every you. They're shoulders of every background. They're shoulders of every socioeconomic group. They're shoulders of Marylanders and, and people who have a real pride in, in, in being Marylanders. And I'm, I'm a very proud third generation Marylander. Uh, and I know that that in this moment and in this time that we have and I come from a family of people who fought on behalf of this country, who believed, who sacrificed in behalf of our communities and our state and our country, uh, even when that love and that passion towards the country and the state uh, wasn't always reciprocal. Uh, it wasn't always shown back to them. And so but that's why I think that's the beauty of this journey that we're all on. And you have quite the military background yourself, don't you, Mr. Afghanistan and paratrooper? <laughs> That's right. And, uh, uh, and you know, and, and it's something that I'm very proud of where, you know, my, my journey into service, it started, it started early where I was, you know, I was first sent away to military school when I was 13 because of some, because some things I was getting into. And, uh, and I joined the army when I was 17 years old and, and I, and I achieved something that I thought about when I was younger that I wanted to do, which was, you know, lead paratroopers and lead soldiers and uh, lead soldiers, eventually leading soldiers in combat uh, in Afghanistan with the 82nd Airborne Division. But I also know that that created such a foundation for my life and how I view the world. And so even when you look at the bills that we've introduced and the work that we're doing, where we are going to make Maryland the first state in this country that offers a service year option for high school graduates where they have a chance to have a year of service in whatever way they choose to the state of Maryland. So much of that was inspired by the service that I was able to provide and for, frankly, a love of community 
that was instilled in me for the fact that people reminded me and taught me what it means to fight for something bigger than yourself. And so I feel like that really became a foundation for how I view the world and the type of things that we want to be able to get done. I'm glad you mentioned the year of service because it sounds like that might be one of the things to do to help young people in Baltimore. There's a company there, right? And I know that city has been plagued with crime and failing schools. And if you put something there for people to do, it might be helpful, right? That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, and we, and we see that for, for, for Baltimore and, and also all across the state is that, you know, service is sticky. People who serve together will generally stay together. Uh, and, and I saw it in even the campaign where I had people who, who I served with in Afghanistan who came and were campaigning on my behalf. And many of them weren't Marylanders. Many of them weren't even Democrats. But they just came to come door knock and just say, let me tell you about the guy that I served with. And that was incredibly meaningful to me. And, and I think about how it's, it's service helps to deal with this political vitriol that we continue to see. Service will help to make sure that so many of these basic functions that are not being performed uh, and the people who are performing them are overstretched, uh, whether it's in healthcare or education or serving veterans or the environment, that this is going to provide a greater level of, of support and reinforcements. And also by making sure that it's a paid year service, that you're creating an economic platform, an economic buffer for students as they are finishing up their high school their high school experience. And so for all these reasons, I think we have a chance to do something special with this initiative. I've got to ask you briefly about your book, because frankly, it's kind of cool, right? The whole other <laughs> Westmore. Tell people, tell people how that came about and what that tells you about people in this nation. You know, I, I, um, I first, I first learned about it when my mom actually called me and I was, I was in, uh, I was actually overseas studying overseas at that time. And she said, you know, I got to tell you a, a, a wild story. She says, there are wanted posters all over your neighborhood uh, in, in, in Baltimore. Um, and I said, I, that's okay. As I didn't know why that justified the long distance phone call. And she said, it's because they have your name on them. And that's when I first learned about uh, around the same time that I received a Rhodes Scholarship, uh, that there was an, another guy who was involved in a botched jewelry store robbery. And, um, and was, and just got sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, without the possibility of parole because of uh, felony murder charges. And I found out that the person the police were looking for that was eventually captured and tried and convicted and sentenced for the crime was a guy whose name was also Wes Moore. And the more I learned about this, the more questions I had. And so one day I just decided to write him a note. And that one letter turned into dozens of letters. Those dozens of letters turned into dozens of visits. And, uh, and eventually became the basis and the premise for this book called The Other West More. And the thing that I really wanted people to know and to learn about uh, through that book was just how, how thin that line is between our life and someone else's life. And, and sometimes in our society, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're asking people and asking young people to make decisions that oftentimes are being either made for them or when second chances become last chances and they have long-term consequences. And so I was, uh, I was grateful to tell a story that in many ways was not just about these two kids. Uh, it was about something much bigger than that. And I think it just helped to add a sense of context for me also, as I thought, as I went through my own journey in the world uh, about our, our, our ability and the fact that we should make it a priority to ensure we're creating pathways for people so that the decisions that they're making are not just benefiting them, but that they're protecting all of us. Governor, I've got to ask you, 
in a nation that is this divided, people are already talking about you running for president in 2024, which I think you've actually had to say you're not really doing that. But what do you think about the divide in the nation and what can you do as a governor to help solve that problem? I look at I look at how how we ran this campaign, where we went everywhere and we went to a lot of areas where people said, well, you know, there's not a lot of Democrats there. And I said, yeah, but there's a lot of Marylanders and I plan on being their governor, too. I, I you know, while I've been a public servant for for my entire adult life, I haven't been a politician. So I haven't real I haven't come up in this in this hyper political or hyper divisive frame where somehow there's a binary culture of politics that if one if one group wins that means another group must lose if one party wins it means the other party is then you know then no longer part of the governing process for the next four years I don't believe in that philosophy I believe that 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 if we are divided we can't win no matter what. And I believe that if we're united, we can't lose. And so I have taken a very deliberate approach about trying to lead and govern with a philosophy that if we stand united as one Maryland, that this is going to be Maryland's decade. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, a question I never once asked my soldiers when I was leading soldiers in combat, what's your political party? Right? It never came up. And I think that that's what we have to do. We have to be a state that gets to know each other again and fights for each other again. And if we can do that, then I think we're going to have a better chance of, of having, uh, of really being able to set the pace and set the course that the rest of the nation will follow. Governor, I know we're running short on time, so I just want to ask you one more question. On that historic day of your inauguration, what did you say to your mm-hmm. kids about what's happening here and what it means for them? Mm-hmm. I... um. I told my kids that there is never a room they don't belong in. And, and that's frankly the message that I want to send to every single kid in our state is that everywhere you are, uh, whether you are in a, 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 you know, a, the state house or whether you are leading in business world or the you know, judiciary or journalism, where, wherever you are, you're not there because of someone's benevolence. You're not there because of someone's kindness. You're not there because of a social experiment. We're not here because some people in our state wanted to vote for us because it made themselves feel better about themselves. Every room you are in, you're there because you belong there. And you are there because that room would be incomplete if you weren't there. And and that's the message that I wanted my kids to understand. And I want them to understand everywhere they go. They are never in a room that they don't belong in or that they're not prepared to be. That was Maryland Governor Wes Moore, the first black person to hold that position in that state. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Alan Peng for his production assistance. Like what you hear? Come back for more. You can find The Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for leaving a rating or review. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.